Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor's easy-to-use drag-and-drop interface. You just drop in the conversations you have with your co-host, your monologues, or whatever else you want to record, and combine that with sound effects and music, and hit publish. It's really just that easy. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Hello and welcome to Monorail News Weekly. I'm your host, Gray Hauser, here with John Owen Upshaw, and this week we're taking a little bit of a field trip to go see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Now, there has been a lot of news that's been happening, and we're going to cover that in an episode that will be coming out sometime in the middle of the next week, so it'll be a little bonus episode for you. But for our normal Saturday episode, we're going to talk about Star uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So, John, what are you expecting? Um, well, I've had a lot of friends go see it, and they've all told me how incredible it is. I've done a little bit of listening to the soundtrack. You know, it's got artists like Post Malone, Sway Lee, Lil Wayne. It's got a lot of big-name rappers and stuff like that, and I think it'll appeal to a lot of people, you know, if not for the movie, then for the soundtrack. And then I think the character, he seems like he's a real relatable guy, you know? And I think I know what they're going for here. They're going for, you know, that kid that lives in the big city, you know? the kid that lives in the Bronx mm-hmm. and is bullied and it is Peter Parker before he gets bitten by that spider. Right. And the main character isn't Peter Parker? Uh, I don't think so. I think his name is Marcus, maybe? Huh. This is a totally different take. This, I believe, I'm not sure because I haven't done hardly any research and haven't even really watched the trailers other than people telling me how good it is and seeing bits and pieces. But I believe it's saw the last Spider-Man movie, um, they talk about, or not the last Spider-Man Hope, movie. Homecoming? Maybe it's, I think it may have been the movie, or maybe it was the video game. I think it's the, this kid from the video game, I believe his father's a police officer. <gasps> yes, okay, from you the know, PS4 Spider-Man. Think about it, I don't believe that he makes an appearance in the movie at all. But, for those of you who haven't played the video game, you're introduced to this character, I think it's Marcus. His father's a police officer. It's a, it's a very good video game. I definitely recommend it. And, you know, after playing it, I definitely wanted to know more about Marcus. And so I'm excited. And that also may not be his name. It could be something completely different. Of course. <laughs> this is the quality journalism you've come to know and love from Monorail News. Really, everything is just top-notch. You really know our stuff. So... I've heard about the animation in this movie because it is an animated movie. 
I feel like it just completely kind of re repositions the, um, the whole industry to try something um, new because it is, I believe, 2D. Um, it, it's hand drawn, or at least built for the computer to be um, not CGI like a Pixar movie or a modern Disney animated movie. And it's done so well. I think we hope that this um, pushes Disney animation to kind of get back to their roots and try 2D animation. You know, they stopped after um, Princess and the Frog because that wasn't the big box office success they wanted, but I think they really failed to really grasp that it's not that people don't want 2D animation, it's that people want a good, solid story, and Princess and the Frog wasn't that. And I, I believe it was IGN. I was looking to a uh, their little Snapchat thing they put up daily or weekly, whatever it may be. And uh, they were describing it. And listening to all the people just describe how beautiful the animation was, they they said that it's almost like reading a comic when you're a little kid. But imagine if somebody had dropped a camera down into that two-dimensional world. And so they said that it feels real, almost like it was filmed on camera. But it's animated and 2D, which is just, you know, an incredible thing to think about. And I'm definitely going to be looking out for that. And I think it'll be really neat. I think that's, that's really um, a shame because, you know, we, um, some people would argue that we are entering into, um, if you consider the, the time before the Disney Renaissance, the time after the Disney Renaissance, as sort of dark ages um, in the world of animation. There is a solid case to be made, I don't know if I buy it, that we're kind of going back into that now with, you know, Pixar putting out more sequels than they do original films and Disney animation being headed up by um, Jennifer Lee, who we don't really know. She hasn't directed a film on her own. I mean, we know Frozen was a big hit. She was co-director of that. And, I mean, I'm sure she's great. But can she manage a studio that needs to be putting out hit after hit after hit once or twice, you know, every year? I mean, can't she do that without John Lasseter? Can Pixar do that? I mean, just today, they lost the director of Toy Story 3 and um, Coco. He's moving on to do personal projects and spend time with his family. And... He was a big story writer there. He created those tearjerker moments from Monsters, Inc. And those, you know, classic movies that are the classics of this new upcoming generation that will be taking their kids to the parks. And, you know, that's, that's the thing, right? The theme parks can be putting out the most amazing rides right now. Star Wars Land can be the most amazing thing we've ever seen. But you have to be putting out content now so that in 20 years, when the people who are children now are taking their kids to the park, they're connected with it on an emotional level and want to come back. Everything feeds into itself. It really is synergy. You know, people dog the, um, the death of the original attraction. People think there hasn't been an original attraction in a U.S. Disney theme park since Expedition Everest. And that's true. But Avatar Land is awesome. Star Wars Land is going to be awesome. Right? Toy Story Land is amazing. I, 
I had no hope in that project. It's awesome. It, you feel like you are the size of a toy. It works. I think another thing too is that, you know, at the end of the day, it is a business that they're running and they recognize that, you know, when you're a little kid, you love your favorite movies. You're so interested in your favorite movies. And, you know, I wanted to play with Woody and I wanted to play with Buzz and, you know, same as the little girls and boys want to play with Elsa and they want to play with all the characters. They want to see them. They want to feel immersed in that. And so I think they're much more interested in the experience over the ride itself, too. I think they want to feel like they're actually a part of the movie. And so I don't think they're as concerned as kids in the past were over, oh, that's a really cool ride. I think they like the backstory. You know, and so I think that kids are going to enjoy the Star Wars land more than they would enjoy a new ride that's non-themed. Because it's immersive and it's interactive and they feel like they're really a part of the movies that they know and love. And I mean, that is Disney's secret sauce, right? It's that we're not building a Six Flags. We're building this immersive world. And you really do feel like you're in the Old West or you're out on an adventure in some far out remote outpost. And Universal has really hit it out of the ballpark with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, right? That feels so real. Right? I mean, it's so real to the point where, as someone who looks at current events and is very conscious of, you know, terrorism and those sorts of threats, the alleyways in Diagon Alley are so small. I mean, if, God forbid, there were to be some sort of attack and you were to do a mass evacuation, I'm not certain you wouldn't have people trampling over each other and just mass pandemonium. And, you know, Disney, I think, put safety above immersion, right? That, that path needs to be 10 feet wider, so if we need to evacuate, we can. We're going to make that path 10 feet wider, right? At the expense of really recreating the scene from the movie. And, I mean, and there's, you know, good and bad in that, right? I think another thing, too, is it seems like Disney typically... I don't feel like they've ever created, I mean, you're the expert, but I don't know that they've ever created an actual replication of, you know, I mean, that's Hogwarts. You know, so they may not have handled it like that, right? No, I don't think, I mean, you know, they'll plop down a castle, and it's Sleeping Beauty's castle. But if you've seen the movie Sleeping Beauty, you know that castle doesn't look anything like the castle in the movie. And there are a number of reasons for that. I mean, let's face it, the movie would not be out for a number of years after Disneyland opened. That was a, a synergy thing, right? Tie-ins with upcoming movies have been a part of Disney Parks' DNA from day one. You know, I think Disney is more concerned with creating the ethos of a movie and creating the sensation that you're there rather than going, wow, this looks just like it did in the movie. And I think that's probably why they focus on the things that they do. They're not concerned with it being a part of the movie or the same thing that happens in the movie happening to you. You know, like you were saying with the Star Wars land, it, it's going to take place and involve a planet that we've never seen that's completely based on the Star Wars world, but it isn't actually Star Wars. It's not actually in Star Wars. And so I think that that's a, you know, because you say you were talking about them not having any original rides. Well, it's not original. 
but it gets people interested in it because it's a lot easier to build up hype for something that's already pre-existing in the Star Wars name brand. And then when you go out and make it your own, you know, like they're doing the Star Wars world or Star Wars land, yeah, I think that that's going to be incredible. And it gives those Imagineers and those designers the opportunity to really sink their teeth in and something that they likely loved as a child as well, but they can put their own take on it and they're not bounded by what's happened in the actual movies. Right, I mean, people always say that the best ride based on a movie is not the ride that takes you back through the movie. It's not scenes from the movie put in a thing and you ride through them. It's a new adventure with the characters you love. And that's what Disney's doing with Star Wars. That's what Disney did with Toy Story Land. That's what Disney looks to be doing going forward, right? If you've ridden Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, right? Yes, there's Star-Lord and Gamora and Rocket and Drax and Groot. And they're not reenacting what you saw happen in the movie. You're going on a whole new adventure with them that's self-contained and that you can only get at that park. Yeah, and exactly. And for that reason, I think that there's no reason to be alarmed, at least for me personally, that they haven't created any original rides since it Expedition Everest because they're essentially creating something new. I mean, they are writing an entire story for these rods. There's a background that they're developing, you know, like you said, and I think that's a big part of it, and that's an awesome thing to do, and that almost, I would argue, takes more effort to create something that's completely new and completely different, but still goes in line and is accurate with the world that's been created in the movie. I mean, they're saying that Batu is so accurate and, so, and weaves so well that in novels and future movies, they're going to be weaving Batu into the story you already know. Like, for example, um, in a recent book they published, a novelization, there's just a little aside that Anakin went to Batu in search of his, um, his lover, Padme. Am I pronouncing that right? I think so. Um... And that's one of the places where he was looking for in between the episodes. And you know, with the Star Wars Hotel that's going to be opening um, adjacent to the land um, in the coming years, I mean, that's really going to let guests live in the Star Wars universe. They're going to be given clothes that reflect the world. You're going to be possibly, they're saying that it's a possibility that you might be woken up at 3 in the morning and be told, oh my gosh, you know, we're being invaded by the First Order. Get up. I sure hope and, that's something you have to sign up for. Yeah, I think, I think... After a long day with the kids, not sure if I'm open for that. Well, I think the idea is that if you're staying here, this would be like one component of your trip. So you might spend three, four days at the parks, and then you spend oh, the, the following weekend totally contained in the Star Wars universe, never even leaving Star Wars land in the hotel grounds, that you will be... Just fully immersed. Right, right, that you won't be seeing the castle. It will be like you are on um, another planet. I mean, that's that's the climate and the world that society demands now, you know? We're all about immersion, you know? Everybody's got VR goggles now, and you're fully immersed, and playing video games and we want these immersed stories and we want to play role-playing games and all that stuff and so I think what Star what Disney is really doing is they're taking advantage of that and they're realizing like hey this is a great opportunity for us to essentially create something that we've always wanted to do we've always strove 
striped or stripped. I don't know what the <laughs> sense of the word is. But our, our goal has always been to have an immersive experience and, you know, to be the happiest place on earth. And, you know, when you think about, like, a movie and stuff like that, you're happiest in the middle of watching it, not when you're discussing it after. So imagine if you spend four days like you're in that movie. It would be incredible. And I think that's what their goal is, and I'm sure they'll do an excellent job, as Disney always does with everything that they do. I mean, and you know, I think it's funny that, like, things in the cultural zeitgeist play in to how you experience the parks, right? Like, I was playing Red Dead Redemption um, before my latest trip, and I was just thinking while I'm playing this game, I'm like, this makes me so psyched to go and visit Frontierland now, right? Because I now have a greater connection that saloon and to the golden horseshoe right i've seen through the culture what would really what might possibly have happened in a saloon like that and now i'm getting to go and drink in that saloon right i'm getting to go and see that um that vaudeville show at the golden horseshoe i'm getting to sit at the city gallery i'm getting to explore like tom Sawyer's island and ride the riverboat and you are experiencing what you see in a movie or what you see in a video game and this is just taking that to the next level. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you know, you're thinking about the immersion of something, of two things that really have nothing to do with each other. Do with each other. Disney, and Disney likely doesn't even approve of Red Dead Redemption 2. And it certainly wasn't in their mind when they created that all those years ago. And the same as Disney World wasn't in the minds of that. But I get what you're saying. You're saying it's a fa- frame of reference. You know, actually... Playing that game, you know, Rockstar's games are very immersive, and that's a very immersive video game, and you feel like you're in it. But there's one thing to feel like you're in a video game while you're playing it, and then to actually go into a place that has been replicated, and, you know, it's obviously the same architecture, because Disney's very accurate, you know, when it comes to, you know, being accurate to the period. And so it really probably will feel like, you know... You're in an actual saloon that was in Red Dead Redemption, you know, because it's going to look very similar. I, mean, I remember, you got the things feed off each other, right? So I remember when you ride into a Saint Denis, um, right past. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, Spoiler okay. Alert. So when you ride past Saint Denis, right past, I, I just skip past this if you don't want to hear this next part, but when you ride past past the. Um, was it the Brave Flight or the Grays? Who was Boa? It was both a, a gray, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. When, when you ride past it, you come in, you can go over the swamp, and you see this little wooden building. That looks like the building. If you've ever been to Disneyland, and you sit at New Orleans Square, and the building where they have Fantasmic across the river, those are almost the same building. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, was that intentional? Or, you know, did some rock star developer go to Disneyland, and then maybe subconsciously <laughs> took that, and, you know, brought that into the game? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of those buildings, they also look very similar because, you know, all the Disney Imagineers and guys who designed that, I'm sure they grew up watching old westerns, you know, when they were little. Because, you know, westerns were, I feel like, the predominant thing. Yeah, they were in the 50s, yeah. Yeah, and so they grew up watching that. And so, I mean, none of of this stuff happens in a vacuum, and so they all draw. And so that's really, I think, why it will seek to further immersion, you know, because they're all similar. You know, there's only so much you can do. You can't make the building look modern because that's not western style and so i think it's going to be you know you'll see a lot of similarities and stuff like that and so i can only imagine 
second something where Disney's going to specifically try and be similar to Star Wars, I can only imagine how accurate it'll feel and how realistic and how immersive it'll be. I mean, even Pandora, the world of Avatar, you know, they designed with all these twisty uh, walkways that you know, maybe lead to nowhere um, to create this feeling of exploration. And admittedly, when you're trying to hit that fast pass so you just have 10 minutes left, you might not want to be exploring, but it really does create the village of exploration because you'll walk down a pathway and you'll go, oh, oh wait, that's not the way, no, it's around this way. And I've probably been in that land six times now and I still don't really know it like the back of my hand yet. And I can only see that would be um, even, I think, better in uh, Batu. Right, that it'll be a dynamic world, and you'll be able to go to the marketplace and haggle with the shopkeeper to try and get that price down on that souvenir. Now, will the price ever go down below a point that Disney's not, you know, you know, I mean, obviously they're gonna say we're not selling this for any less than $25, right? Right, so we'll start the price at $30, and part of the fun will be you haggling it down. But, I mean, and speaking of Spider-Man, kind of back on topic, um, a Spider-Man attraction is going in right now to California Adventure at Disneyland. It's going to be a web-seeker game where you're going to be able to sling webs, if rumors are to be believed. This is like the next generation Buzz Lightyear. Hmm. Um, I mean, that would be really cool, you know, because I've always found Spider-Man to be a pretty neat character. And, uh, you know, all the way from when Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man. And while I enjoyed that backstory a little bit more, you know, Tobey's backstory, I also really love this new actor who plays Spider-Man, and I can't think of his name. He's awesome. Yeah. He, he's incredible, and he's exactly what it should be. You know, he's sharp and witty, and he sounds how you always pictured him sounding. It's even better, though, that he's actually Australian. So if you hear him talk in any interview, he's not talking in that voice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a really good American accent. Yeah, and so I thought that he was, you know, incredible in Spider-Man. And I think they did such a good job casting him. And so I can only imagine that they're going to do just as good of a job in this movie. And I've got a lot of a lot of big expectations for it. Just, I mean, I've got a buddy who was saying that he went and saw, like, I think last Friday... Uh, he got back to town on Wednesday, and he was asking if anybody wanted to go see it again. It's that good. I mean, that's the mark of a good movie, and we will certainly see. We're going to leave you now, and when we come back, we will have seen the movie, and we'll give you our thoughts. So, we are back from the movie. What did you think? It was really good. I liked it. It was a really, really different take on Spider-Man wasn't too serious, but it also didn't make it feel like it was taking Spider-Man as a joke. Um, coolest costume I've seen yet for Spider-Man. I said that for sure. You mean Miles' costume Yeah, Miles', Miles's costume for a Spider-Man character, I guess. Now that we know that, I guess, they all theoretically exist just in different universes. So, do you have a favorite Spider-Man? Did this movie change your opinion about any of... Uh, well... I think my favorite Spider-Man might be Miles. And he's got the coolest powers, that's for sure. I mean, the invisibility and the electricity, like, that's really cool. 
that's that's new, and I think he's definitely the most powerful Spider-Man. I mean, you know, my first proper introduction into the world of Spider-Man was the Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark musical. For those who don't remember, it was the most expensive Broadway musical ever produced. It was just a failure. It, it literally, like, they did the math, and, like, to make back the initial investment, it would have had to sell every seat every night doing two performances for, like, two years. Okay, there's no way that's going to happen. So, I don't know how... They, they've been saying they're going to do an arena tour for years, but to me, that's the definitive Spider-Man, the one with MJ and Green Goblin... But, well, that was a Green Goblin that we'd never seen before. Right. We'd never seen Green Goblin be an animal. And then, of course, you know, in the worlds, they vary. Uh, Wilson Fisk is not always the bad guy. Not always a bad guy, or not always even introduced. A lot of the times, it's Norman Osborn. Right. Who is Peter's best friend. Or, I mean, who's Peter's best friend's father. And so, you know... It'd be interesting to see if, and I'm assuming they're going to make a sequel with as good as that was, if it might contain some, you know, if there might be part of that multiverse again and you see, you know, the Spider-Men with the different backstories, you know, all converge. I mean, because you have some that are in relationship with Gwen from the very beginning and some in in the relationship with MJ from the very beginning and... So you see... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm tired. It's late. Yeah, I've seen so many different like Spider-Man recording this. So, um, yes, and I think that the the art style was awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. That was a very neat animation style. It really felt like you were inside, like you were watching a moving comic book. You know, you almost kind of forgot it was animated for a while. Uh-huh. Like you would get so in the world, like, yeah, this is normal. This is what real life looks like all the time. Mm-hmm. Very, very neon. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that they throw me for the first uh, five or so minutes was that it wasn't quite at like 60 or 120 frames. So it would be almost like, and maybe it's intentional, but it reminded me of when like you hand draw like a flipboard, you know, and you spin the pages. Uh-huh. I think that was intentional. I think it was to create more, to almost like you're going through a comic book. A comic book. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's what their goal was, because if you notice throughout the movie, no matter how close you got, you, uh, like, I mean, no matter how far you'd notice, there was still kind of like, a, like almost like a double standard, like it was 3D. Yeah. Like old school 3D without the glasses on. And I think that was part of it to give it kind of that flip look. And, I mean, did, did you think, was it CG? Was it hand drawn? What was that? I think, I mean, I'm sure it was CG, uh, um, but it, it had a very hand-drawn look, and I wonder if, uh, if, you know, when they would do your traditional, like, pow, blammo, you know, if that, I wonder if that were actually hand-drawn. And it may have all been hand-drawn, but I just, I kind of doubt it with the way, at some points, things seemed very, they didn't have that hand-drawn feel, you know, right. like, especially towards the end where there's lots of action. It didn't seem hand-drawn to me. It seemed, you know, you're more of your CG-type stuff. I mean, maybe it was something like Futurama, where they would insert CG into the hand-drawn world? Yeah, that, that's what I would guess, is that some of it were hand-drawn, and some of it were not. Oh, it's a stomach. So, did you have um, any moment uh, in the movie 
where you were really shocked by what happened? Was there any, like, plot twist that you didn't see coming, or did you see it coming? And by the way, this is a spoiler-filled review. I'll note that in the show notes, but back out now if you don't want to know some of the later details. Yeah, um... Well, you know, when it, when it reached the point, I realized that it was going to be his uncle, that it was going to be Miles' uncle. And I said Marcus earlier, it is Miles, not Marcus. When did you clue into that? Uh, when did you clue into that? Uh, really, I, I started to suspect it when he walked into the apartment. Yeah. At, at yeah. that scene, you know, where he's writing in that letter, like you said. I think I think that's when I was like, oh, crap, his, his uncle is about to walk in, and that's going to be him. Because it made, and then, you know, the uncle shows up in villain form, and you're like, yeah, there's no way that this guy's tracking him that well, you know? Yeah. And so I think immediately, I think just about everybody who would have been watching it would have clued in. Um, but prior to that, I didn't see it coming at all. It was interesting, though, because they had the little voicemail message earlier in the movie when he tried to call him. Yeah. And he said, you know, like, I'm away, and, you know. You know, I mean, definitely there are going to be a lot of people who will have caught that, you know? And who will have realized that? But I honestly can say that that didn't cross my mind. And I'm sure for a lot of people that that was the first thing that crossed their mind, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, that that surprised that surprised me big time. I was expecting Miles to take off the mask at the end and reveal to his dad that he was the new Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because that reminds me of the video game video game, this is a spoiler alert for the game, I guess, you play or you play a little bit as Miles. And also MJ. And also MJ, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess at this point, if you haven't played the video game, you're probably not playing it. But, um, you play a little bit as Miles, and he doesn't have powers in that universe. But, um, it's, it's a really neat... That the father dies. Yes, and the universe. father dies in that universe. And Spider-Man kind of helps out a little bit, you know? And Miles helps Spider-Man out, you know? And so I think the, that was an interesting twist to have him actually have powers. And I liked it a lot. So was Miles a character in the Spider-Man universe before this game, in this movie? I'm, you know, I'm really not an expert in... Uh, I, mean, I don't remember him being anywhere. I don't, I don't watch a lot of superhero movies, honestly. I mean, I, I've kind of gotten into them recently. Um, and I've seen all the more recent ones. But I never saw a lot of the... Or, I never saw any of the old Spider-Man that I can remember. I mean, I, I'll be I mean honest, I'm familiar. I've never up a comic I'm book. familiar with the Tobey Maguire set of Spider, that version of Spider-Man, and everything like that. But I was never an avid reader of comic books, um, so I'm not sure if he ever appears in those. But I would, I would guess that he doesn't appear in this capacity at all. Right. I mean, I thought it was interesting. That, um, that they would even address the Gwen-MJ thing, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was neat that Gwen appeared. Uh, and that she was younger. You know, as if, like, an old-school Spider-Man, you know, back when he was little. Or when he was a high schooler. And I guess, a reference to current Spider-Man when he's, like, a middle schooler, high schooler that age. Um, I thought that was neat, and I thought it was really cool that they brought her in there. Uh, when I saw her at first, I did not realize that it was Gwen, that it was that Gwen, you know? Right. And I had no clue that she was going to be another Spider-Man. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was that was a huge plot twist. I would have never have guessed that in a million years. I thought that was a neat addition, though. You know that uh, in her world, Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man. She was because she very well could have been. You know, because they worked in the lab together, I believe. But but then it's something versus MJ worked in the lab. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it, it varies a lot and everything. Changes up and such up. And there's no cohesive Spider-Man origin story, right? No, there's the, no there's not. definitive it all, one. It, I mean, I'm sure the comic, you know, there's a definitive one in the no, comic. No, they do the different universes too, I think. Do they really? Yeah. Okay, well, I guess the only real definitive one is the first one that was ever written. Sure. But, you know, I go back and forth. I have my different likes and dislikes of them having, you know, different types of Spider-Man and stuff like that. And, all the characters having different backgrounds. And I think I'm okay with them reinventing it. I think that's fine, you know, because you've got you've to change things and keep things fresh. You can't remake the same movie over and over again. I mean, I guess you can. Because these generations haven't like seen have it. With you. But, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting to see them, uh, to see each generation of writers put their own take on it. I... What'd you think of the Stan Lee cameo? He passed away. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was that was very cool, you know. He's always in it. Um, how long into the future he'll continue appearing in these movies, I think, is the question. How many of these did they film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, of course, technology now, I'm sure, he can appear in them for a very long time. If they so choose. Right. I think that's kind of the thing, right? Like, do you choose to put him in the movie if he wasn't even alive during his development? You know? Like, I mean, will it be odd ten years down the line to keep seeing Stan Lee appear in Marvel movies? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's a little side, and I don't particularly think it's very important. I think that it's, you know, neat. It was always cool to see him in the movies because, you know paid homage to the guy who is uh, really pretty much the father of all these characters, you know? Whether he created each specific character or not, he's one of the reasons that, you know, a lot of those guys got into got into it, you know, got into comics wanted to make these characters. And so influential, you know. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, uh, if the new writers and people who continue to write and do all the work, you know, still want to put him in there because he's a I'm sure a major inspiration for almost everybody who's involved with any of these movies today. So does this get... Well, no, Sony put this out, right? Not 21st Century Fox, right? So this isn't part of the Fox acquisition. Correct. It appears that they still have the rights to to make animated spiders. Animated Spider-Man? Animated Spider-Man, yeah. Possibly. I don't know if there's a difference or if maybe they can both make Spider-Man. I'm not sure. I would guess that they just have animated. Who put out the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming? Because that was in collaboration with Marvel. That was a Marvel movie, but it was not put out by Disney. It was put out by whatever company owns the rights to the live-action Spider-Man. It may have also been put out by Sony. It could could have. But, you know, it does intertwine, you know, because he is in... The Avengers. He's in the Avengers. He's a new addition to the Avengers. And so I think that's another reason the way that they wrote his, that they wrote his story like that, because um, I think they've added him in and made him young again because they're like, holy cow, like we didn't have Spider-Man, 
and he's, you know, one of the all-time favorite characters. And so I think that's another reason they had to go with the young angle. I mean, and it also allows them to put Spider-Man in Marvel movies for years to come. Right. Uh, right. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, he's going to grow up and age. Robert Downey Jr.'s leaving. Uh, Chris Evans is leaving. Right. You're losing some of your big headliners of these past uh, Marvel movies, and you're going to want to create um, good new talent. You know, people and characters that people care about. So they continue to come to uh, Marvel movies. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do in the future without Robert Downey Jr. Because personally, he's the reason that I started watching all those superhero movies. I liked Robert Downey Jr. as an actor, and I watched the first Iron Man, and that's why I've seen all of these movies. Because Robert Downey Jr. is is a phenomenal actor. He's an actor that I've always liked very much. And so, you know, I wonder which guy they're going to focus on next. You know, is it going to be Chris Pratt? Um, I mean, who's it going to be? Is it going to be the actor from Black Panther? Who's going to be that new face I mean, I think, of Marvel? I mean, Captain America, maybe? No, he's leaving, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's leaving as well. You know, and I think that that's big right there because, I mean, those were probably your two most recognizable, you know, actors. They had, they both have a very established franchises, you know, that sure. center around them. You know, there's been three Captain America movies. Something like that. Two, I know two for sure. There was the first one, and then there was Winter Soldier, and uh-huh. there was Civil War. And then there was Civil War, which was a Captain America movie, technically, I think, but might as well have been an Avenger. Been a semi-Avengers movie. You know, I think there's a lot of... I mean, they can go a lot of ways with it. There are a lot of great actors that they have in these movies, you know. I mean, like, you saw, and, and I don't know who plays them. I'm not up to date with my actors in Hollywood, but I watched Ant-Man recently. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. I have no idea who portrays them. Uh-huh. They were great films. Um, you know, I think this new Spider-Man actor, I think he's a great actor. He's, uh, I think he really personifies what I feel like a Spider-Man actor should be. You know, he's, he's, when I picture Spider-Man, you know, he's kind of, kind of a little nerdy kid. And I like that he's a real smart kid, you know? Right. I think that that's a cool little twist on it. Um, of course, I was also a huge fan of the Peter Parker that's, you know, taking photos for, newspaper, you know, <laughs> I thought that the 20-something Peter Parker that didn't know what he was doing with his life, but was also brilliant, is a cool one, but, you know, I always did like that Peter Parker was very smart, you know, resourceful, had witty comments and stuff like that. Absolutely. And then I kind of wonder, is there a way that they're going to tie in uh, Deadpool? That, that's, oh, that's a difficult question. Because, because the, the problem is that Deadpool is a much more R-rated. Yeah, it's more adult. It's very much more adult, but it's incredibly I popular. I cannot see a Deadpool walk-around character at any of the parks. I, I cannot see Disney doing that. No, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't imagine that they would put him in their parts. That's for sure. But now Avengers, you know, Deadpool, recently they came out with the PG-13 version. Really? Of Deadpool 2. It's like an abbreviated version. Sure. Um, it's like five minutes long. Oh. It's like five minutes long. <laughs> yeah, and they reshot a lot of the scenes. Um, I don't think it did very well. Probably not. 
but I do think uh, I do think it could be you know maybe that was their kind of foray sure. into seeing how well it would do if he didn't have that R-rated humor. Yeah, and but I think that if they can find a way, they'll try to find a way to get Ryan Reynolds involved because that's yeah. a big name actor. Absolutely, you know that that brings a lot of star power. Of course, you've also got Chris Pratt, who is somewhat similar in the way that I feel like his movies are. You know, they're they're kind of funny. Yeah. You know, and he's... Robert Downey Jr. was kind of funny. You know, he had those quips. He had that, I don't know, that that it factor, I guess. And uh, I think it's going to depend on where they go, because, you know, do they go with Peter Parker? Because they were kind of... I mean, he was kind of being set up as potentially a Tony Stark-esque type guy, you know, a protege type thing going on, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them, you know, use him as the next guy. Also, wouldn't mind seeing Doctor Strange. I mean, they're all incredible. You know, I love all those actors. I think they do such a great job. Let me bring this around full circle here before we wrap up. Alright. Um... Disney Parks is going to be peppering Marvel throughout their global properties. This March, I believe it's the 31st, the first Ant-Man and the Wasp attraction will open in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. It will be very similar to um, Buzz Lightyear in that you'll be given an EMP gun and be asked to shoot at Hydra, like, bugs or something. Um... It seems very exciting, but not very applicable to me because I live in Mississippi and Hong Kong is a long flight. Um, Hong it is going to also come to Paris with the opening of the Iron Man roller coaster um, at Walt Disney Studios. Um, the Guardians coaster is opening at Epcot um, in Florida, and a Marvel-themed land. Um, at Disney's California Adventure, right next to Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. As I previously mentioned, this will feature a Spider-Man attraction. Um, now, if you don't know the reason why the Avengers and Spider-Man aren't coming to Florida, is because Universal has those rights. Um, anywhere east of the Mississippi, um, Comcast and Universal has the rights to the characters they're currently using. Um, in their park, so that's the whole um, Iron Man, um, Spider-Man, Doctor Doom, um, all of those characters can't be used by Disney in Florida, but they can be used by Disney everywhere else. Um, I think guests are going to love it. I mean, I, I only know the limited information they've put out but I think doing different attractions at every location encourages guests to travel, right? Because I think so many people think that when you go to Disneyland in Paris, it's going to be exactly the same thing as what's in Florida. And it's not. It's a completely different experience, right? Just one that Disney's created. And I think this maybe will bring that to the forefront of people's minds and will encourage them, if they're already traveling to these international destinations, to spend a day or two um, at a Disney property. So, where can they find you on social media, John Uh, well, I, on Instagram, I'm J-O Upshaw. Uh, that's what I mostly use. 
I have no idea what my Twitter handle is, but I can almost guarantee you that there's no other John Owen Upshaw out there. So, you can probably look me up on that, too. Um, yeah. Once again, you can follow me at Gray Hauser. That's Gray with an A. H-O-U-S-E-R. You can follow, um, our video, um, aficionado Christine at Ivy Winter. Um, one word. You can follow Monorail News as a whole at Monorail News on Twitter. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We will be back about in the middle of this week to discuss the park news that we didn't get to today. Uh, Taylor will be back, and then we'll be back next Saturday as well with a new episode. Thank you so much. See you real soon, and have a magical, magical week.